at it, then we're going to vote. It's time to vote. Uh, I keep telling my colleagues, um, if this is the new normal, God help us all. Who would want to be a judge in this environment? And uh, we've got to turn this around before it's too late. Taking Kavanaugh down <clears throat> would unleash forces uh, from the darkest side of American politics in perpetuity. And if you think only one side is capable of doing this, you're mistaken. Ooh, that uh, vaguely threatening. You think that was Accurate. a threat? Oh, I didn't well, think it, it as a threat. It's but. clearly true. I think he was also pointing out that you shall reap what you sow. Um, uh, I heard some stuff about Kavanaugh and the death threats and worried about his kids and wife and job and their house and all this sort of stuff. And I thought there's no way that if there was a time machine, he wouldn't go back to where his life was before and pass on his dream, wouldn't he? There's no Hard way. Because this isn't going to end with the FBI report. I would say he would seriously consider it, which is an exceptional thing to say when you're considering the gig. Right. But, uh, please welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Joe Russinello. He's a former FBI agent, former assistant district attorney, a U- former U.S. attorney for Northern California. Uh, Joe, how are you, sir? Good morning. Nice to talk to you, fellows. Uh, it's our pleasure. Thanks. So, listen, one thing Jack and I have noticed is that if you flip on the cable TV or the networks, uh, you'll have one former FBI guy say, oh, yeah, we can easily uh, conduct a background check like this in, in a week or so. And then another guy will say, oh, no, it's a, it's a sham. It's a... It's, it can't possibly right. be done. Right, and, and I've, I've heard FBI agents say, oh, no, in fact, we had one on yesterday. No, FBI is independent. We will do what we uh, the way we do it. Whatever the president says doesn't matter. And I've heard other people uh, yesterday, they were laughing What about what a joke this FBI investigation is on MSNBC, that Trump is, uh, is the puppet master dictating it right. all. So what are your thoughts on that whole theme? <clears throat> well, I think to clear the air here, first of all, this is not just a routine round investigation. <clears throat> this is what in the parlance we used to call a White House special. And that meant that uh, you dropped everything else and you attended to this. Uh, and clearly, that kind of an investigation can be done in probably 48 hours, uh, certainly within a week, because uh, leads are sent out. An agent is assigned at Office of Origin. That's Washington, D.C. Um, that agent, a very experienced person, is, uh, sends out leads around the country. They go to the field offices of the FBI. Uh, by, you know, in these days, probably uh, a high-speed uh, email, and uh, there's a 24-hour turnaround. That means get the job done, report back to me in the right format, which is the FD302, which is the summary of the interview, um, and I want it here by blank, blank, blank time. It then is assembled into a, into a document, which is the, the report, in this case, the background investigation report, and it's sent on to the person who would, who would put it. It's reviewed by supervisors both in the field and at Washington, to make sure that it, it follows FBI guidelines. Um, and the package is put together, and, and there you have it. That's what a White House special is. That's different from an ordinary background investigation, which is done in the normal course and could take as, as long as 90 days to complete. I've been the subject of investigations. I have done these kinds of investigations. I have read dozens of these uh, investigative reports and the FBI is um, uh, sort of homogenized in the sense that all of these agents in the field know exactly what they're what they're supposed to do when they get this lead that tells them to go out and uh, interview so and so. Right. And they'll do that lead. They'll they'll follow that lead and only that lead. Um, if they come up in in the course of that interview with some information that's generally derogatory information, something that requires a follow up. They get on the phone or they send a telex back or an email back and they say, we've come up with this. What should we do? 
Uh, they'll get instructions to go out and interview that person or forget about it or whatever. Um, so uh, uh, let me I, jump in here because it's funny. Yeah. There are three or four different stories this morning about various people's ex-girlfriends or boyfriends saying, look, that does not square with what I told her or her character at the time, et cetera, et cetera. From decades ago in right. some cases. And now I can picture like those people's exes coming. Oh. <laughs> Wait a minute now. That guy's always been a liar. I suppose the investigator in charge has a standard that he says to you guys, no, don't bother with that one. Well, the closer to the Godhead you are, the more important the, uh, this uh, evidence of, uh, of uh, conflicting uh, past statements is. Um, I think if it gets four or five um, persons removed, then it becomes sort of uh, like most rooms, uh, unreliable and not worth pursuing. Uh, but there may be some things here that, uh, for example, this, this idea that some former boyfriend Ford um, knew that uh, she had prepped somebody for a lie detector test when, in fact, she had testified that she never uh, gave any tips or had any involvement with lie detectors before this one could be very important because I think what, what the senators are saying here is corroboration, um, as thin as it is, is is as significant as what would otherwise not be even credible, which is a polygraph result. Right. Uh, but with CS experience... Uh-oh. Darn it. Uh-oh, we're losing them. Yeah, Mike, put them on hold. Yeah, is it, are we on a cell phone, Hanson? Maybe we could just yeah, call clearly. back and get a different because we can jabber for a few minutes yeah, if you we'll want to just reconnect. Do. Yeah. Um. So 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 that's interesting. He says that's plenty of time to to chase down these facts. A White House special. Well, and that's kind of you know I was just guessing, but that's what it seemed like to me. And this isn't the twenties. I mean, where you'd have to f- fly somebody out, or they take the railroad to the West Coast to interview an exploiter. <laughs> I mean. Right, right. Between, you know, email, phone calls, planes, having offices all over the country, it seemed like you could you could question a hell of a lot of people in a couple of days. Right. I just, you know, I could picture, you know, one of your key people you need to talk to is in a hospital, just had surgery and can't really, I don't know, that'd be fairly extraordinary, I guess. But, um, all right, well, who am I to contradict him? Oh, this is it. Is it any better? Oh, Maybe okay. we talk to him after the break. Well, let's uh, possible you think. Let's try again with uh, okay. Joe Rusinello, former uh, FBI agent. All right, so uh, Joe, where were we? I can't even remember. We were talking about uh, I was talking about that closer the closer to the Godhead you are in terms of uh, uh, prior inconsistent statements, the more likely they are to follow up right. on those. But if you get five or six uh, degrees of um, you know relationship removed, and then they become just sort of generally rumors and un- un- unimportant. What do you do though? What does an FBI agent do? Say you talk to two people in one day. Uh, w- one woman says he was at the party. You talk to another guy who says he wasn't at the party. You just write that down and hand it to the senators and let them decide, or what do you do? Well, you you write it you write it up as a summary of of what they have said and and any information that they may have been able to provide to explain where it was that they were if they weren't at that party. You know, there are a lot of documentary evidence. You can go back to calendars for that particular period of time. If looking at Timmy's party, if that becomes the critical event, you there? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So if it's Timmy's, if it's the date of Timmy's party, I mean, something happened on that. Newspapers were printed on that day. What were the significant events of that day? FBI agents would, would know how to do it. They would ask 
questions of people that they were interviewing who were supposedly at the party if they remembered the, the train wreck or the airplane crash or the baseball game or the whatever in order to jog their memories about that specific date. And it may be one of those aha moments where people say, ah, you know what? Now that you mention it, I was at the rodeo in Dallas on that day. That's why I know I wasn't at that party. Ah, um, interesting. Yeah, there is uh, aided memory is very different from unaided memory. Aided memory. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And these are, these techniques are things that FBI agents are taught how to do and uh, and to be very proficient with. And, and in addition, they get guidance from Washington, which has probably done a significant um, background investigation on the the events that were occurring at that time. So there's a, a great deal of information that can be gathered in a very, very short period of time, okay. even though it's 35 years ago. So listen, well, I was just going to say, I, we have no idea of your politics. We didn't ask, and we don't particularly care. But do you have any overall view of um, the hearings and the investigation and the whole uh, mess? Yes. I, I'm a conservative Republican. I was appointed by Ronald Reagan as the U.S. attorney and served under him and, and George uh, Bush uh, 41, and I was reappointed by 43, and I was... I served under Obama as well until he discovered that I was still here, and then he got rid of me. But um, so I, my, my my politics are pretty well established. But this this is so important to the Democrats to win because they know that Kavanaugh becomes a solid fifth conservative vote, and it isn't Roe v. Wade as much as it is all of the rest of the crap that has been built up since the Warren Court, with Brennan and Warren basically extending the right of privacy far beyond anything that the Constitution ever. Uh, ever envisioned and the founders ever envisioned when they wrote the Constitution, Kavanaugh is much more likely to follow the lead of Scalia as a textualist than he is the lead of Brennan as a sort of the the Constitution is a living, breathing document that can be interpreted in any generation, any way that you want. Um, and a kind of uh, end justifies the means kind of a, or you know practical application of the document. So I think that's what worries them. This whole business of the social, the social state uh, socialism, progressivism, whatever, uh, the uh, the gimme uh, culture, uh, all of that would be um, endangered by having a fifth conservative vote. It would put the onus back on the legislature, which is where it should be, to make laws rather than in, in the courts to make hence, laws. They, hence the desperation. Yeah. Okay. Well, the FBI has taken quite a beating over the last couple of years, and it goes back and forth. And I have a feeling because, you know, most recently – it's the Republicans tearing down the uh, the corrupt FBI part of the dark state, and the Democrats regularly. I see it on MSNBC. These are the very people that protected us after nine eleven. And how dare you say anything bad about them? I have a feeling if the report comes out at noon today and says uh, we looked into it, Kavanaugh's okay, then all of a sudden the FBI is going to be back to for the Democrats an <laughs> evil institution yeah. you can't trust, and the Republicans no, look, will think- hold them up as what are you talking about? These are good men who protected us look, after nine eleven. First of all, you have to differentiate between street agents who generally never wanted to go to Washington, who are the backbone of the FBI, who are brilliant, who are dedicated, who are patriots, and who will do the right thing, and those who who want to advance their own careers and who make incredible sacrifices of their own families and, and, and in some cases, principals, in order to get back there so that they can be big shots and so they can get the big jobs when they leave the bureau and, and, and uh, reap uh, great rewards. Uh, those people, the ones who make it back to Washington, are easily corrupted because there's there's so much political influence back there. They are the people like Strzok and, uh, and McCabe, who, in my view, have done such a great disservice to the FBI um, and who will, unfortunately, um, uh, be the, the, the kind of uh, 
examples of what uh, not to do, and we'll have to overcome that. I think Christopher Ray is the new director of the FBI, is on the right track. Um, but uh, he has some house cleaning to do, and, and hopefully uh, he'll accomplish that, and we'll get back to the FBI being the great law enforcement agency well, that it um, always was. On that topic, don't you think it's going to be important for Chris, because of the the time we're in? I think they're going to have to. I think they have to make this report uh, a public because portions of it are going to leak, which wouldn't benefit anybody. Carefully I think they're going to have to make public portions. And then I think leak. Ray should come out if this is true. I think Ray should come out and say, "Look." We were given the ability to do this the way we wanted. The president didn't restrain us from doing it. I think he has to say that. Well, maybe he does. I I think what he'll do is it'll probably be in a very, very narrow context of saying this is the assignment we were given. Thing, And they probably were given it by the general counsel at the White House, uh, McGahn, rather than by the president himself. Uh, because of lawyer to lawyer, they understand. They talk to each other. You know, we have a different language than most uh, people. Um, We know. uh, They know they get that direction. And I think that if he responds and says, and as a result of getting that direction, this is what we have done. uh, Although it'd be very, very um, unusual for the FBI report itself with all of its, um, uh, you know, in all of its parameters to be released. It may be that it is one of those extraordinary circumstances where it's more like the Pentagon Papers than it's like Joe Dokes' background investigation, and they feel obliged to to release all of it. A hundred uh, senators' staffs are going to have this paper. It will come out one way or another. Oh, yeah. yeah. Joe Russinella, yeah. former FBI agent, uh, former assistant district attorney and U.S. attorney for Northern California. Joe, really enjoyed the chat. Well done. Yeah, I hope great. we can do it again Thank sometime. Okay, bye. Thank you, sir. You know, so I suppose you'd have two ways to listen to that. Obviously, he's got a political bent as do the FBI agents who say this is a farce. Sure. And, uh, you know, their politics are they don't want Kavanaugh on the court. It just it just shows you how much our, our viewpoints can drive. I'm not saying that that was uh, Joe's situation. Uh, he might feel this way regardless. But Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting, his talk about the uh, agents who go to D.C. to try to rise up through the ranks. It's not the first time I've heard that sort of thing. Um, it reminds me of uh, certain information that, uh, I don't know, certain people have furnished me that, the higher up your rank in the military, the less you're a soldier and the more you are a politician. I don't doubt that. Um, and uh, sometimes that leads to things that maybe conceivably aren't so great for the soldiers. Yeah, I don't doubt that a bit. And I certainly could see how that happens with the FBI. I mean, Comey's article in the New York Times over the weekend, which didn't get much attention. No, I saw it and was aghast. It didn't get much attention. I think he's just become kind of a, yeah, well, we know what he's going to say. There's old blabbermouth again. Boy, he really likes putting himself in the middle of things. Yeah. What an interesting dude, and he ran the FBI for a while. Would have been 10 years if the president hadn't fired him. Because of the Russia Pro. Because of the Russia Pro. And the collusion. Because <laughs> Putin told him to. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. I don't know. Will they release this or not? Who knows? You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. Looking over this article about how bogus all these studies are that we hear about all the time on the radio and the TV, and um, they've got a bunch of examples. In Great Britain, they have this thing called the Health Scare of the Week because they 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 mock the whole idea of uh, 
eating fruit cuts your chance of breast cancer in half. And then the next week it'll say eating fruit doubles your chance of, you know, that sort of stuff. Sure. Um, it caused one medical journalist, a guy who runs a prominent medical journal, has proposed an extreme solution to the problem. The simple expedient of uh, the best thing would be to close down most university departments of epidemiology and both extinguish, extinguish this endlessly fertile source of anxiety mongering while simultaneously releasing funds for serious research. Shut down the fear mongering and free up the money for other things. Yeah, I don't know what that's going to do to Marshall's news if we uh, if we start to do away with coffee studies and chocolate studies, but that's where we are. So, uh, gosh dang it, a couple of the things I tried to print out didn't print. I've got the greatest thing. I know what the hot costumes are for Halloween, if you're wondering. All right. I'll hold on to it. It's really good stuff. <laughs> Go ahead. I, oh, I'm so frustrated. I was sure I had this all together. More than half of respondents to this survey said at least one person or pet in their family will be wearing a costume for Halloween. At least one person or pet. Mm. How do you feel about dressing up your dog or cat? I'm uh, anti, but not strongly so. Okay. I think putting an animal in clothes is uh, <laughs> at best frustrating to the animal. You, you call it porky pigging. <laughs> well, I, I don't, but I'm going to now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not very big on the idea. I just think it's probably uncomfortable for the animal. I'm very sensitive. They don't know you have a skeleton costume on them. They don't know that. They don't know what a skeleton is. <laughs> they just feel weird because something strange is on them. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's my point. They don't know that they've got a little pumpkin stem on their head. They don't feel more adorable. No, exactly. They don't know they've got a little pumpkin ste- thing on their head with a strap around their chin and then the pumpkin body around their body. They don't know right, that they are the popular gourd of this season. They are not delighted <laughs> to be portraying a gourd. <laughs> All right, so I finally found it. I'll, we'll, I'll see if we can squeeze this in a little later on in the hour. This is a serious scientific inquiry into how ridiculous the social sciences have become. Specifically, what they have characterized, uh, characterized as grievance studies... Because many of these fields refer to themselves as blank studies. Right. And they operate primarily by focusing upon and inflaming the grievances of certain identity groups. And they th- and these scientists think it's A, gotten out of hand, and it's leading to things that are academically unviable. So their project was to, and they, they take great pains to point out, this is not a hoax. This is a study. They submitted many, many papers that were ridiculous in various ways oh my god to be published and considered and praised and reviewed and the rest of it oh my god including my favorite human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at urban dog parks in portland oregon that paper was accepted and praised highly i have more on the list Oh, yeah. Wow. What's coming up in the news, Marshall? Key Republican senators condemning Trump's comments about Kavanaugh accuser. And we got four Californians arrested for inciting that riot last year in Charlottesville. And finally flying in the face of the failing New York Times, a new study out about dangers of sugar substitutes. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. 
looking at a bunch of statistics on Trump. Maybe we'll break them down uh, later from a Pew poll. Pretty interesting. Donald um, Trump, the guy from The Apprentice? Yeah. His approval ratings as president have been almost completely stable. Way more than any president in modern history. He's right around 38 to 40% from the beginning, on through scandal, good things, bad things, everything. Just kind of hovers around the During center. the wildest, nuttiest presidency yeah. we can remember, a peripatetic man, but it remains stable. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Uh, President Trump's mockery of Christine Blasey Ford sparked an immediate backlash today from two critical Republican swing votes on the nomination of Supreme Court hopeful Brett Kavanaugh. I hope they don't vote based on that. Senators Jeff Flake and Susan Collins pointedly rebuking the president. Now, at the rally last night in Mississippi, Trump commented on what Ford could possibly remember about that night more than 30 years ago. 36 years ago, this happened. I had one beer, right? I had one beer. Well, do you think it was... Nope, it was one beer. Oh, good. How did you get home? I don't remember. How'd you get there? I don't remember. Where is the place? I don't remember. Senator Flake saying after those comments... Well, uh, there's, there's no time and no place for remarks like that. But to discuss something this sensitive uh, at a political rally is just... Uh, it's just not right. It's just not right. I wish he hadn't have done it. Um, uh, just and say it's it's kind of appalling. And Senator Collins calling the remarks just plain wrong. Now, yeah, well, I would agree. He shouldn't have said that. But you you can't not vote for Kavanaugh. Okay, you shouldn't uh, reject Kavanaugh because the president said something he shouldn't say. What's that got to do with it? That's about the president and his temperament. Which, by the way, one of the questions in the Pew poll that uh, dips below half, even among Republicans, is whether or not he's even-tempered. Only 10% of Democrats find him even-tempered. Who are you Democrats who say Donald Trump is even-tempered? Compared to what? And I would ask the 45% of Republicans who say, okay, I'll grant you, I'm happy with a lot of things that are happening, me personally. Yeah. Um, But I wouldn't call him even-tempered. No. Oh, shut up! There's people... Go ahead. 45% of Republicans say he's even-tempered. That's people with their heels dug in who were telling the pollster, yeah, I think he's even-tempered. Yeah, I like his handling of the economy. Yes, uh, I think Ivanka's pretty. I mean, just everything is positive. Ivanka is pretty. Yeah, clearly. Um, um, they're just just—they're not going to admit anything because everybody's attacking all the time. And if you're being attacked, you, you defend. I got some more numbers uh, that are kind of interesting. Stay tuned. Federal authorities say four members of a California militant white supremacist group have been arrested on charges related to last year's rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Benjamin Daly, Michael Macellus, Thomas Gillen, and Cole Evan White, who is from Berkeley, the other three from the L.A. area, they're accused of traveling to Charlottesville to incite a riot and attack counter-protesters. White supremacists who live in Berkeley and Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I've noticed the national media is going crazy over this. Um, and, uh, Marshall, you, of course, have reported on the stories of uh, violent uh, lefties being mm-hmm. arrested. But the national media yep. generally ignores that because the uh, alleged uh, resurgence of white supremacy is such a handy bugaboo. So they're going crazy over it. But, yeah, these guys are brutes. They got arrested. It's good. Yep. The FBI affidavit alleges the four men were among the most violent people in Charlottesville during that August 2017 rally. 
Now, my friends, I do want to give you a heads up. Your cell phone will probably be going off today at about 1118 West Coast time with an emergency alert from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Yes, Mr. President, I stand ready. Let me know how I can help. That's how I'm going to reply. A tone similar to that of an Amber Alert is going to be heard. The message will read, Presidential Alert, with text rather that says, This is a test of the National Wireless Emergency Alert System. No action is needed. And no action is needed, but action is what I'm going to provide. <laughs> I'm a man of action. Users cannot opt out of the presidential alert messages, which are issued at the direction of the White House. So anyway. Um. Uh, wow. So they strong armed all the phone companies. Is that was that what happened there? Got them on board. I'm not. I'm not part of the crowd. It says I don't want any message from Donald Trump on my phone, and are suing or whatever. But I don't know about the I can't opt out. Yeah, the whole the government is going to tell you something and you're going to listen. You can't opt out on your private cell phone. I've got to admit, it, while it sounds slightly paranoid, you know, it might be used for propaganda, etc. I'm not they, worried about that. They assure us that the safeguards are in place. Right. I just don't like the feel of it. No, I don't either. I'm not worried about the Trump's <laughs> going to start using it during the campaign to, you know, uh make all of us look at various economic statistics. Um, but, I don't, yeah, the idea of the government on my private phone through the private company, the bill I pay, can make me see a message is weird. Mm-hmm. I would opt in if it were an opt-in option, assuming oh, yeah, that they're only going to tell me if we're under nuclear attack or something. But the idea that I can't opt out, not cool. All right, my friends, we've got a new international study that finds certain artificial sweeteners are toxic to your gut. Researchers from the U.S. and Europe studied the sugar substitutes they found six were toxic to gut microbes, despite the fact that they've all been approved for use in various foods and drinks. Aspartame, sucralose, saccharin, and potassium K among those that caused the problems. Specifically, they all cause certain bacteria in the gut to release toxins, which can damage hormone regulation digestion, and even your immune system. Now, I will point out, in the face of the uh, New York Times study, this was a group of researchers from the U.S. and Europe, not just one researcher trying to grind out another study for your consumption. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. God, that deafened me. Uh, Speaking of uh, science, need to get to this. Scientists hoodwinking other scientists to prove that science really needs to check itself. That Project. sounds great. It's, <laughs> it's so thought-provoking and hilarious. The example you just already gave is amazing. Oh, it just gets better and better. Also, we'll get into that Pew stuff. They uh, ranked the president on eight different personal traits and asked people of different backgrounds what they think. It's kind of interesting. We'll get to that at some point, huh? That FBI report might come out today. Of course, I might grow wings and fly, so I don't know what that means. <laughs> Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Gotta read you something. Dear Dr. Helen Wilson, (laughs) 
I have now closely considered the revisions of your manuscript, Dog Park, and, <laughs> and will recommend its publication in Gender, Place, and Culture. You have done very good work to address the issues your viewers raised and have clarified your arguments. Thank you for your contribution to Gender, Place, and Culture. And I wish I could play all of that for you. It's a video we are posting at armstrongandgetty.com, which has links to the relevant materials which we are about to discuss. This group of scientists designed a rigorous scientific study to prove the level of... Well, I'll, I'll read their own words. They talk about grievance studies, the social, uh, social sciences fields that primarily refer to themselves as blank studies... And because they operate primarily upon, by focusing upon and inflaming the grievances of certain identity groups, we think it represents a significant and influential subset of the scholarship coming out of cultural studies within the humanities, sociology, anthropology, other social sciences, and is gaining increasing power over our universities, institutions, media, and culture. And having looked into taking classes at various universities, I ran into this all the time where I couldn't find any courses that weren't about some grievance group. Right. If you want to study the American Revolution, you could only study, you know, gay people in the American Revolution or women in the American Revolution or whatever. Right. So what they wanted to do was a serious ethnographic inquiry into fields, journals, and scholars who exhibit various commitments to the assumptions of grievance studies. Specifically, over the course of the year, we wrote 20 academic papers and submitted them to significant peer-reviewed academic journals in the fields with the hopes of getting them published. Every paper combined an effort to better understand the field itself with an attempt to get absurdities and morally fashionable political ideas published as legitimate academic research. Some papers took bigger risks in this regard than others. We wanted to understand the nature of the problem in academia and the culture that produces it. In that sense, this study was what anthropologists might refer to as a reflexive ethnography of academic critical constructivism. In plainer language, what that means is we sought to become outsiders who embedded ourselves within the culture in order to understand it and come to fit in with it. Hmm. We verified our success in this regard by getting high-level academic scholarship published in their journals, some of them quite prestigious. We hope to reboot the conversation about topics of cultural interest, such as gender, race, sexuality, and so on, and bring it back to a more rigorous basis, the nature of which remains to be determined at this time. We want to reintroduce skepticism of the underlying assumptions and quote, critical methodologies employed in grievance studies so that scholarship regarding important questions of gender, race, sexuality, and so on can be addressed accurately and by the best possible methods. This follows from our suspicion, which we think our project helps establish, that these fields are corrupted by biases favoring a particular radical political view from certain thinkers, who he names, and many, they name, and many others, and an unwillingness to accept outside criticism. We perceive a large number of people, both inside and outside of academia, who are aware of the increasing power grievancy study scholars wield. And we wanted to provide an opportunity for these people to feel safe enough to speak out and say, no, I'm not going to go along with that until it has had more thorough and rigorous review. And for them, along with others, especially on the left, to say, these people do not speak for me. So that is the rather dry explanation of their very rigorous year-long study of this. And it was supposed to be a little longer than that, but they got outed by certain members of the stupid, stupid media who just don't want anybody to have any fun. But that uh, video we came back with, the audio you heard, was them getting news that the first of their papers had been accepted by gender, place, and culture. 
And the paper was specifically human reactions to rape culture and queer performativity at urban dog parks in Portland, Oregon. Here is your introduction. This article addresses questions in human geography and the geographies of sexuality by drawing upon one year of embedded in situ observations of dogs and their human companions at three public dog parks in Portland, Oregon, which is so good. The purpose of this research is to uncover emerging themes in human and canine interactive behavioral patterns in urban dog parks to better understand human uh, moral decision-making in public spaces and uncover bias and emergent assumptions around gender, race, and sexuality. Specifically, and in order of priority, I examine the following questions. How do human companions manage, contribute, and respond to violence in dogs? Two, what issues surround queer performativity and human reaction to homosexual dog Uh, homosexual sex between and among dogs. And three, do dogs suffer oppression based upon perceived gender? Um, Wow. It concludes by applying my black feminist criminology categories through which my observations can be understood and inferred, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And it was all made up and as ridiculous as they could make it and still get it published. And it was published by and praised by a very uh, prestigious publication now some of this is what you were just talking about these these areas of interest are just so excited about their area of interest that they've invented that uh, they're willing to go with anything some right. of it is what if i was it talking agrees about. with them some of what it was i was talking about earlier with the whole academia thing where they just everybody gets printed they print everything nobody reads this stuff it doesn't have any impact but it's right. just part of the academia is i wrote a paper that got published oh really me too you know mm-hmm. it's just part of that world yeah. which is weird but they were trying to prove that if you accept the party line and the uh, accepted thinking in the grievance studies field, uh, they'll accept anything. There are there no is, standards. There are no standards. It is the opposite of rigorous. Another one of my favorites. Stars, planets, and gender, a framework for a feminist astronomy. <laughs> Understood broadly is the scientific study of the stars. Astronomy ranks among the oldest of human fascination studies and knowledges. Still, the relationship among science, gender, and astronomy, however, have gone under-investigated. Mascul- That's true. <laughs> yeah, for good reason. Masculinist approaches to epistemology, science, and astronomy, as well as gendered and colonialist systems of knowledge production and verification, have excluded and marginalized knowledges, narratives, and ways of knowing from women, indigenous people, and other sources outside the Western-centric, androcentric scientific paradigm. Androcentric? Does that mean humans? Yeah. Human scientists, human-centered science. To remedy this problem, this paper proposes a framework for feminist astronomy that, one, critically examines knowledge production and astronomy in the sciences, two, recognizes gendered and colonialist approaches to astronomical knowledge, and three, (laughs) challenges these systems of scientific domination, and four, provides alternative knowledge sources and research methods for astronomy. Feminist astronomy draws upon feminist theory, post-colonial theory, and feminist political ecology to analyze while challenging and disrupting masculinist hegemony within astronomy and the natural sciences, leading to a more inclusive, diverse, and equitable astronomy more focused upon human relationships to the stars. But it's uh, it's so self-perpetuating, this whole thing. Um, because you, you want to print these papers to help validate your field, which you are in and get paid for, which for which there is no work outside of academia. 
So you have to, like, build up this. It'd be like if I could convince a university that studying Buck Owens was really important. Yes. And to country music and how it affects the world. And I could start publishing papers on that. And then I become a professor of a department that studies that. And just, you know, so now I can make a living on something that nobody cares about. Isn't real. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When when I've invented. You know, that's true. What troubles me, though, because that's a good point, but it's almost a... It's a very different thing than we're talking about here because this crap and it's crap has become such, you know, political correctness in the original meaning of it, meaning that if you went up against the communist doctrine, you would be drummed out of the party and or tortured or killed or worked to death if you if you leave the politically correct party line. And these party lines are so brutally enforced at colleges and so universally accepted. Oh, yeah, I know. And they are indoctrinating millions and millions and millions of kids. So it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. Well, I know I, I know at least one professor that headed out the door because just couldn't couldn't handle going along with this stuff. Super Frankenstein and the Masculine Imaginary, Feminist Epistemology and Superintelligent Artificial Intelligence Safety Research. That was another one of my favorite. Uh, oh, 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 oh! I almost forgot. This was uh, probably my second favorite after the dog park one. Who are they to judge? Overcoming anthropometry, anthropometry through fat bodybuilding, advocating a new classification within bodybuilding for fat people. <laughs> I'm for that. Accepted and praised. Right. In Fat Studies, an interdisciplinary journal of body weight and society. And it's pushed a lot of other studies out um, of academia. More legitimate studies that have been around for centuries are no longer studied at a lot of universities. If you're not woke and you're not about a grievance, there's no room for you on campus. Right. Interesting. Wow, that's great. At our website, you're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.